If it's nerdy, we're into it. Gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. We are Kyle Eckert and Chris Heck, two lifelong friends with a passion for the world of geekery. And this is the Geek Catch-Up Podcast. Welcome back to the show, Geek Catch-Up family. We are Chris Heck and... Kyle Eckerd. You are listening to Season 2, and this is Chapter 22, an episode that has Kyle and I very excited as we're breaking down one of our favorite new shows from Amazon Prime Video, The Boys. And as always, though, we want to start off the chapter by letting you, the Geek Catch-Up community, know that we appreciate you choosing to spend some time with us, and we thank you for listening. Yeah, if you've enjoyed Geek Catch-Up, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you get all the new chapters we release every two weeks. And be sure to share us with your friends and family. Find us on social media to get updates on the show and content from the world of geekery. Geek Catch-Up Podcast on Facebook and YouTube, at Geek Catch-Up Pod on Instagram and Twitter. All the links to these accounts are available on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. There's also a link to our Patreon page if you'd like to support the show. Prior to diving into the over-the-top action of the boys, we do want to take a few minutes to chat about what we've had going on lately and share a bit about our first ever giveaway that is happening later this week on our social media accounts to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the Geek Catch-Up podcast. So why don't you kick us off, Kyle, and then we'll come back and share the details for the giveaway. So what's been going on with you over the past few weeks? So as I talked about a few weeks ago, I was in the process of buying a house with my girlfriend, and we have settled and moved into this new house. So I think this might be the first or second recording spot at this new place, which is pretty cool. Uh, We're excited to finally get into the new home and set up a more permanent recording studio to work from. Not that the old place wasn't nice and okay, but, you know, it's it's fun to have your own house and your own space and to be able to buy a legitimate desk and set up a comfortable (laughs) recording spot. More space. More space. It's all about just having more space yeah. and, and kind of making it your own. So really getting to extend the full pop collection oh, into yeah. this new space because that's very exciting. That Now that I have an entire finished basement to <laughs> basically unbox my pop collection. So I don't know if I've talked about it at length in the past, but I have a pop collection that's around 300, 350 pops and at the old house, it was a little smaller. I didn't have as much room, so there was really only about 50 pops out in that whole house. So now all 300-plus pops are out, and as I get the desk set up, hopefully I'll have a cool backdrop Oh yeah, you know, as, as we start recording in the future. Well, I've had that inside look. You've got the pop wall going. You've got some art to put up. You've got that sweet new arcade machine. So you've got a hell of a recording space coming together, a nice little studio slash man cave. Oh, yeah, yeah. My comic books are finally up and out. The record collection is finally open. That was boxed and put away. So the record collection's out. Listening to it, the pops are out. The NBA Jam Arcade 1-Up cabinet is up and put together. I've played a few games. I think keep an eye on social media for a time-lapse video of me putting that together. Awesome, yeah. Should get that up soon. But what have you been up to? Man, the last couple weeks, I have just been hitting my guitar work crazy it's just been guitar 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 in my free time i have you know ebb and flows over the past couple years since i started playing and i always try to play at least a little bit every day but i go through these moments 
um, these periods of time like I have over the past couple of weeks where I just playing any time I have in the day, you know, so picking up the guitar two or three times a day and getting into that, you know, two to three hours sometimes just depending on what I've had going on, but really been hitting it lately. And as I've said before, you know, I, I have started playing guitar with Rocksmith. That's been my primary means of learning and playing songs. And I've primarily over the years utilized the Rocksmith cable and UI to play. And yeah. that's fine, but it's very digitized. You know, the the system kind of cleans some things up at times. It also takes care of adding effects and you know whereas a normal guitar uh, guitar player on stage is hitting pedals and everything to give out different tones the sure. the rocksmith does all that for you right yeah well my big focus over the last few weeks has really been to utilize my amp and pedal board more that i have yeah that you know because i've kind of neglected it for a little while and just really getting back into that so i can truly hear how i'm playing you know, if I'm playing songs that are going from clean to distorted or whatever it may be, it's forcing me to actively hit my pedals as I'm playing and just do more in that realm. So yeah. it's been fun. I've been kind of obsessive over it. I added a, a couple new pedals to the chain and, you know, messing with those, looking to maybe upgrade my amp to a more uh, kind of big boy setup with an actual <laughs> separate amp and speaker cabinet versus the boss katana combo i have right now so i'm watching videos i'm playing playing the strings i'm just kind of hitting it on all levels right now <laughs> right ah, and just bringing more depth to your skill as a guitar player yeah yeah it's really interesting it's really taught me that how much you can learn and really how the brain works in some ways right because i've found that you know you put in these stretches of a lot of hard work and then actually for me at least you know take a break or two, a couple of days, maybe two weeks, and just kind of have that chill out moment. A lot of times it'll happen for me when a new game comes out, I'll, I'll shift my focus and put a little more time into the, to the game arena or whatever. Um, but when you come back, man, you know, you'll think you're rusty, but in a lot of ways you're actually better. And it's just, I think it's something with how the brain stores and commits information, you know? Yeah. So as like I said, it's an ebb and flow thing and I kind of go back and forth, but it's just been uh hot item for me over the last couple of weeks any new song packs uh no well not really song packs they stopped with the dlc on rocksmith from that standpoint but i do use a lot of custom dlc offline and i'm constantly downloading new stuff so recently i pretty much added a whole bunch of like alter bridge and mark tremani stuff because he's just a ridiculous guitarist and then I've been watching Cobra Kai, so I've kind of got like this whole little thing going for 80s rock, just because there's yeah. so much of like the classic 80s rock going. So I was downloading like some Scorpion and White Snake and Joan yeah. Jett and just like stuff like that, you know, that's from that era. So uh, I am always adding songs when I can to it, but nothing from like the traditional song packs that Ubisoft was putting out for Rocksmith itself. Yeah. The only other thing I'd throw in here, just because I think it's something kind of relevant it's a game that was a little anticipated and and came out recently was i did pick up star wars squadrons um i think it came out at the beginning of the month on xbox and ps4 and i have to say obviously we're not going to break it down but it's a it's an interesting game it it visually it looks fantastic like they sure nailed the visuals graphics are good the environments when you're out in space and above the planets and stuff look great 
it all feels very authentic when you're piloting the different ships and they went a little bit more simulation style with it yeah okay so like you actually have to use the two sticks on the controller to like control throttle and pitch and yaw and those kinds of things versus just like forward and left and right you know it yeah it forces (laughs) you to pay a little bit more attention to you know how you're flying yeah less accelerate break more actual like simulation control that makes sense exactly so so that took a little bit to get used to but i liked it because a lot of times especially with the star wars games they go a little bit more on the arcade side but honestly it's been tough to even play just because the campaign it's just so boring (laughs) oh oh no like it's just you know when you're in the missions like and you're kind of in between missions and you're talking to the npcs and stuff like you never see your character you can't respond you can't even move you just spin so it's kind (laughs) of got this like vr game kind of thing going on yeah that's interesting and it just it slows it way down the missions have felt a little similar through the first i think i'm through the first four or five so i didn't i didn't hit it just once and and walk away from it but it's really hard to keep my attention as I've been playing. So I don't know if any of the listeners have played it yet or what your thoughts are. It's just, it's kind of like this, this game. I give it, I would say it's like a five out of 10, you know, it's like gameplay itself is, is great and spot on, but then like everything else is just kind of mediocre and lackluster. And yeah, that's a bummer. Well, yeah, I don't want to get too deep into it and tangent, but I, I have a few questions like, like if you've played multiplayer but before that answer that i know that it's a first person only yes you are in the cockpit view and you can't change that and actually once i found that out it kind of killed that game for me and because i understand that's probably how you should play an air combat game or a dogfighting game but when i'm piloting things i kind of like the third person view Oh, I'm with you there. I if I play yeah. Ace Combat or something, I usually go with a third person view. So that was something I had to kind of get used to when I started playing this one. Yeah, and I figured it would be a beefed up airplane version of Battlefront. Yeah, that's kind of what I was expecting, but it really ended up being like there's a campaign and I, I don't know how long it is for sure, but it you know, you play on both sides of the of the war with the rebel alliance and then the i guess what's left of the imperial you know army and tie fighter brigades but then with the multiplayer there's only like two or three game modes oh you know and it's 5v5 i think the bigger mode is 5v5 but you have ai added in so some sort of you know battlefront type uh action there you know as far as how they built that but not nearly as many modes there's some customizations of your pilot and your cockpit and your plane, but you know nothing that really blew me away. Of like, man, I really need to play through to get that. Yeah, I, it was only forty dollars, so it wasn't like they were coming out with full, you know, AAA sixty seventy dollar pricing. Um, so that was a plus, but it definitely feels like a lower end game. And I, if you were playing on VR, I, I think I would probably have much higher review for it just because it feels like it would be a great game on vr but for console or maybe pc where we're used to a little bit more complete experiences or or built yeah, out sure. i don't know it, it it just didn't didn't do it for me so yeah just missed the mark yeah and a, and a handful of key areas that's yep. a bummer because yeah. it, it certainly it was awesome to see a star wars like 
dogfighting game come back into prominence. Oh, agreed. That, that had me pumped. You know, we played uh, the old ones back in the day and Rogue Squadron and yeah. stuff like that and loved them. So kind of getting the online play and things like that added in seemed appealing, but there's just not enough there, I think, to really give it a top tier review or or really suck me into or I'm going to play it long term. Sure. Yeah, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah. So anything else on your list before we move on here? Well, one thing I, I did promise the listeners in our last chapter <laughs> that I would dive into at some point. Uh, so very recently, my PlayStation 4 died. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. And it was a long time coming. And I'll say that my PlayStation 4 has been screaming at the top of its lungs pretty much since Red Dead 2 came out, <laughs> like back in 2018. And so every new title that I've played on my PlayStation 4 was just making it run like so loud. Like Jet, you know, I want to talk about Squadron. <laughs> this was an X-Wing taking off full flight, full thrusters. Every single game I was playing from Red Dead 2 to Anthem, Last of Us 2, Ghost of Tsushima, all of these games were just, the fan was just through the roof loud. Maxed out. <laughs> maxed out. It was crazy. <laughs> um, and I had gotten a hard drive air, I think back in March. And I kind of did the research on the air, saw some things I could do, took my PlayStation apart, cleaned it up, dusted it off put it back together and I extended the life out of it, but I knew I was working on borrowed time <laughs> and Marvel's Avengers right after we did our chapter on Marvel's Avengers. I think you and I tried to link up and play some online yep. and that was the final nail in the coffin for my PlayStation. I got one final hard drive air. The whole thing crashed and died. I've done all I could do to get it fixed. And it's this been this horrible situation where <laughs> it died right before the PlayStation 5 comes out. So I got stuck in this mode where do I wait out for the PlayStation 5 or do I throw down the extra cash to either buy a new PlayStation 4 or in my troubleshooting, just buy a new hard drive. Right, yeah. And ultimately I decided that I was going to wait for the PlayStation 5, but I was saved. Uh, so it was a bummer that I lost my PlayStation 4. And sadly, the, our, my final moments of my PlayStation 4 are on video or on camera <laughs> because I was recording the session that we were playing. And we were all pumped real quick. Yeah. We were all pumped. We we're like, all right, you know, we got through the initial push. You were getting close to beating the campaign. We were going to run through some of that. And I think we were like in the first five minutes of a mission or whatever. And it was just like, you were gone, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just crashed and froze on Marvel Avengers. Um, funny enough, when I look on the app, technically I'm still logged into Marvel Avengers. Because <laughs> when I looked at on my phone, it said like, you're currently playing. And I was like, how am I possibly currently playing this? This thing's boxed up and put away. That's funny. But all all the sadness was, was like I got a little bit of redemption and a shout out to Level Playing Field. Uh, Level Playing Field podcast had their 50th episode giveaway awesome. and I ended up winning the 50th episode giveaway and won a copy of Mario 3D All-Stars on the Switch. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to LPF and those guys for doing the giveaway. And that has been the perfect game to kind of fill the time and fill the gap between the the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 5 coming out. I'll say it hasn't been perfect. I did get my PlayStation 3 out and restarted playing <laughs> Arkham City um, just because I needed Ooh, to do classic. something. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah so yeah, Arkham City. Uh, it, that's been fun, but definitely, you know, it, it was a sad moment to see the PlayStation die. But and on the, you know, I got bounced back within like a week or two of that happening and, and won that giveaway. So that that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's sweet. And then, like we said, you did get the PS5 pre-ordered, so you know that kind of lets you know your future was secured. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's going to be so many games to play once the PlayStation 5 comes out because. I'm going to have to finish Ghosts. I'm going to have to finish Marvel Avengers. Yep. I'm looking forward to Miles Morales and Valhalla. So Yeah, you're, you're going to have a ton of gaming going on. Well, I know this is going to sound bad because your PlayStation actually died, but I'm not going to lie. Since we got the pre-orders in over these last couple of weeks, like I just kind of look at my PlayStation and my Xbox One like they're dead to me already because I'm just <laughs> like so ready for the new consoles. I don't even care. I was like... Yeah. New games or not, I was like, I just want solid state hard drives, faster loading times, and there's a new <laughs> console that we've got pre-ordered, so these ones can go, you know, go away, and I'm just ready for the new ones. So <laughs> Chris is the meme of the guy with his girlfriend looking at the other girl. Like. Absolutely, like my <laughs> Xbox One is right there, perfectly operating, wanting me to play, and and I am staring at the advertisements for the Xbox Series X. So that's yeah, that's too funny. That's I'm too a horrible funny. gamer. I'm a horrible gamer. You can't just appreciate what you have. <laughs> it's got 4K too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, man, yeah. But yeah, but well, uh, speaking of giveaways. We do have our one-year anniversary coming up on October 28th. Very excited for that. Yeah, it's been a huge year. I cannot believe we are already this far down the line, especially in 2020. We recently hit 10,000 followers on Facebook, so that was pretty awesome. Kind of at the beginning of this month, a good way to kick off our you know one-year anniversary month here in October. Thank you to everybody again who has uh, been following us on Facebook. We really appreciate that, but uh, I just, you know, it's so wild to think when you and I started this and really when we were planning to start this, thinking about it, you know, mulling it over, you know, back in September, October of last year, I think our original plan was like eight episodes over like four months, you know, see how it goes, see how how things work out. (laughs) (laughs) And we quickly blew through that number. I mean, we had... Oh, yeah eight episodes done i think before the end of the year last year with the wrestling recaps and all and now you know this is going to be chapter 22 and no end in sight right so oh yeah just keep it rolling yeah absolutely so super pumped about that and really a lot of it comes from the support we've seen on social media you know friends and family feedback reviews all of that kind of stuff we really appreciate it kind of gives us the the old juice of energy to keep moving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I was curious before we talk about what we're going to be doing with the giveaway, uh, what your thoughts are, you know, one year in and uh, maybe if you have a, a specific moment or favorite chapter that stands out to you from year one. Uh, I might have a I have a chapter that has a special place in my heart. Um, but yeah, the the feedback and the support from the community has been just absolutely incredible. Instagram and Twitter as well. I know Chris gave the shout out to the Facebook followers, but <laughs> the you know the Instagram and Twitter followers have been super cool. The the friends that we've made through the community, like For I said, sure. we, we we referenced the level playing field guys, Emily from Game of Thrones, Jay and Eli from Super Bracket Bros. Like all these people that we have met and interacted with have just been super cool. 
Completely agreed. And that that has just been an awesome process. Also, just doing a podcast in general has just been something we talked about for a long time. And it feels good to finally get started. And one year in with no end in sight is just an amazing feeling. So, So thank you to everyone that has been listening and everyone that has supported us along the way. Friends, family, new friends, et cetera. Uh, but as as far as individual episodes, the one that does have a special place in my heart is our first Retro Sports League Challenge. Okay, yeah. On Ken Griffey <laughs> Jr. Presents Major League Baseball. And I know at the end of the Retro Sports League Challenge, it was a little heartbreaking for me as I ended up losing and not making the playoffs with my Baltimore Orioles in that game. So And went through a whole disaster <laughs> of my... My retro system failing on me, which it's been quite a year for my systems to, to bomb out. It's true. But I, I would say that one because that game held a special place in our hearts when we were kids. We played it a ton. And to kind of bring these these two worlds together of uh, sports and video games and get catch up all wrapped around this Ken Griffey was was just absolutely amazing for me. Yeah. Um, did, did you have any any chapters or moments or interactions that really stood stood out to you the ken griffey jr stuff was definitely up there for all the reasons you said you know not to mention the process we went through from conceptualizing that idea to trying to execute on it working through the challenges and then finally still being able to to maybe not quite get exactly what we wanted in the end but really close and i think that we did a great breakdown on that game um and what it means to us so that that obviously will always stand out it's kind of a new part of our ken griffey jr lore i feel yeah. is you know what happened with all of that and the uh, seasons and and everything for me though i will have to say i think it was polybius you know our season finale of yeah. season one that was extremely new to me um writing a script you know, sound engineering on that level with all the sound effects and and the amount of work that we put into that. It was another item that we conceptualized kind of early on and then let it sit, came back and really brought it all together in like a month time frame, maybe two weeks at one point, you know, <laughs> but but that was really cool. And I felt like it was a combination of of how we grew throughout the season and to be able to go from no experience podcasting or sound en- engineering to you know, putting out like a fictional narrative that, you know, I think for the most part, we got pretty good feedback that people thought it was fun and different. Yeah. I think that one might stick out to me Yeah, as one of my proudest, our proudest moments for at least the, the foreseeable future. Yeah. Polybius was a ton of fun and it, it kind of took a different shape. I know when we first conceptualized it, it was all based around this urban myth of gaming Yeah, and then it turned into this fictional narrative and neither one of us have ever really tried to write anything from a fictional standpoint. And so that was a fun in the creation process and really trying to flex new muscles yeah, and, and try <laughs> new things. And that was a lot of, a lot of season one was that like different types of episodes, different themes, different topics. And th- to finish the season off with something that I think in the beginning made us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then yes. just that really... <laughs> You know, and uncomfortable from a sense of writing a fictional story to, you know, it's one thing to turn on the mic and start talking about something and it's versus turning on a mic and playing a character. Yes, that was very different. And so that was, it was just super cool. And yeah, it is something to be proud of. We had 
another thing with the Polybius episode was we got to pull other people from our lives into that episode. Yep. Yeah. You know, and our support group, uh, you know, Sarah, Sarah Beth and Cameron and Taylor, they all came in and did voiceovers for us. Yep. And that was super cool to get them involved. Yeah. Felt big time, you know, little, little production studio going. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was super cool. So uh, I know we've got a lot more planned coming up, you know, year two will be bigger and better. Um, in a lot of ways, but I think your one will always hold, as it should, that special place of of being the genesis for anything that we do moving on. And, you know, because of that, it's been such an exciting year. Kyle was talking about giveaways with some of the other podcasts. We thought that it would make a lot of sense to do a giveaway here to the fans that have been following us, listening to us, uh, supporting us. And we are going to do just that. So when you're listening to this episode, it'll be Tuesday, October 20th. Keep an eye out through the rest of this week leading up to October 28th, which is our official one-year anniversary of when we published our first chapter ever. Throughout the week, we will be putting out uh, different graphics, different posts throughout the social media accounts, pretty much laying out what we've got for you how you can um, enter yourself into the giveaway. And, you know, we're definitely excited to be sharing that with you. But Kyle, do you want to give them a little bit of a tease of what we'll be giving away? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, keep an eye on on that, on how you can enter. But as terms of what you will get when you enter and when, it's a lot of official Geek Catch-Up swag that we have been putting together over the past year. So the... Third prize, we'll have three third prize winners. They're all going to get Geek Ketchup magnets and or pins, depending on how you use them, as well as Geek Ketchup stickers. So that should be super cool. The second prize winner is going to get a Geek Ketchup t-shirt and some pins, magnets, and stickers. And then our big first prize winner is going to get a limited edition Geek Ketchup fitted hat, that Geek Ketchup t-shirt, and of course, the two magnet pins and stickers. So the big time is that limited edition Geek Ketchup fitted hat. Yep, yep. Very few of them out there. Most of them friends and family. So you'll be one of the few people maybe ever for this specific hat design to have it. Um, it's super cool. All gray, nice leather branded patch on the front. So it's a little unique, but nice and clean. You can wear it. If you're dressed up, you can wear it if you're super casual. So yeah. hopefully everybody will be interested in that. So like we said, keep an eye out over the next couple of days. There'll be more information to come, and then we will look to announce the winners on October 28th. The various Geek Ketchup polls continue on through Season 2. On social media, we've been asking the community for their thoughts on dream matchups, favorite heroes, and much more. We recently pitted two Masters of the Cold against each other, Sub-Zero the Grandmaster of the Lin Kuei from the Mortal Kombat universe, taking on Dr. Victor Freeze, a.k.a. Mr. Freeze, classic Batman. It's a matchup we believe to be fairly even. However, our community did not agree. We didn't think we'd see a bigger upset than Odin over Dumbledore, but it happened. Receiving nearly 100% of the votes, Sub-Zero dominated Mr. Freeze. In fact, Freeze had only one vote between Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram combined. 
Apparently, Sub-Zero follows the inspirational words of Coach Riley from the Mighty Ducks when he says, it's not worth winning if you can't win big. As Chris said at the top of the show today, it's all about the boys. The smash hit television show from Amazon Studios that has not only flipped the superhero genre on its head, but then proceeded to kick it in the teeth, spank its rear end, and throw it in front of a speeding A-train. Season 1 of The Boys debuted in July 2019, produced by Sony Pictures Television for Amazon's Prime Video Service, with executive producers Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, as well as showrunner Eric Kripp. This dark comedy superhero show has been adapted from the Dynamite Entertainment comic book series written by Garth Ennis and illustrated by Derek Robertson. It follows the exploits of The Boys, a ragtag team of vigilantes as they combat superpowered individuals, or soups, who have gotten just a little too comfortable with their fame and power. In this universe, superheroes are active celebrities and public figures working for a corporation known as Vault International. Vault's main team, of course, is The Seven. Think the Avengers or the Justice League, but each with their own dirty little secrets. We weren't planning on doing an episode-by-episode breakdown here. With two seasons at eight 60-minute episodes a pop, there just isn't enough time. But more what a cultural hit The Boys has become, and to hear some interesting deviations the show has taken from the comic story. Let's get this out of the way. This is your spoiler warning for both the show and the comics. So Chris, with season two just wrapping up, it seems like the show is everywhere right now. But let's go back to season one. And what was your first exposure to The Boys? I had no idea what The Boys was until the trailer started running. So it was pretty much just this out of nowhere, crazy trailer, clearly some ties to superheroes, maybe some parallels because he kind of, you know, as soon as you see Homelander, you know, like he's a very (laughs) Superman style character. But over the top, and it caught my attention, you know, jumped in right when they started releasing it, and absolutely fell in love with it from the opening moments. This show, this IP is almost spot on written for me. You know, like, it, it's what I like, it's different, it's fresh, it's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I really have been a big fan since day one when I, once I was exposed to it. What about you? Uh, very similar. I, I did had no previous experience with the boys. I hadn't read the comics. I hadn't even really heard of the comics and then saw the trailer, immediately Googled and saw that it was based on a comic book, but had no prior knowledge. And I mean, same ordeal. It came out the gate just firing on all cylinders. It was so good. And so many people were like just ranting and raving about it. Like everyone in our little friend group was watching it, even the extended friend group. I had people that I don't really talk television shows with being like, oh man, have you checked out this superhero show on Amazon? Yeah, And it it really was. It was just a fresh take on the superhero genre. Maybe not something we hadn't totally seen before. We've seen rated R superhero movies like with Logan and Deadpool in the past. But this one felt a little different because it was almost poking fun and parroting yep. the the superhero genre a little bit. So it was just a nice fresh take. Carl Urban as as Billy Butcher, you know, call him the the main character. I don't know if he's necessarily the main character as it there's so many teams True. and people involved, but you gotta love when you see Carl Urban. The man is a geek legend. So <laughs> respect. you know all respect to to you know and hashtag blonde Carl Urban out there. <laughs> But 
it, it was just, yeah, it, it was wild. And as soon as it kind of debuted, I found myself doing research on this show, going to, there's a local used bookstore uh, where I live called Wonderbook, and found myself going there and like, how can I get more information on this IP? Yeah, I was a fan of Garth Ennis, and um, when the Preacher show came out, that kind of did the same thing, you know, got me hooked in, and I started looking at the Preacher comics, and so I was a little familiar with him, but, you know, the boys had just escaped me, it didn't didn't get put in front of me, nobody recommended it to me, and um, I think it ran from, what, like 2006 to 2012, so, you know, it's been out there for a little while but yeah, that first, I remember in the opening moments of the pilot episode, you just realize that you're in for something different kind of right away because, you know, I think they opened it with like a, a bank robber scene of like, you know, some escaping bank robbers and there's, you know, a couple of kids just walking home from school and then like, boom, Homelander drops down. He pretty much like brutally assaults the bank robbers and I think at one point the he just like tosses one he of throws them them up in the air, yeah, like a hundred <laughs> yeah. feet in the air. And then the kid's like, Hey, Homelander, can I get a selfie? And he's like, turns around, just happy go lucky. Yeah, sure. Kids, no problem. And they're taking the selfie. And then the guy falls into a car, yeah. you know, behind him, and nobody cares. Like everybody's just like, yeah, Homelander, you know? Yeah. And, and you're like, okay, there's something different here. And then, you know, a few scenes later, I think what truly got its hooks in me, was when A-Train disintegrates Robin. Oh, okay. And, I mean, never had I seen anything like that in a superhero film, show, anything. You know, like thinking about a character like The Flash and what would happen if they actually ran into somebody, you know, and like just like a water balloon popping. You know what I mean? Just (laughs) gone. And, And I was just hooked. Like from that moment on, I'm a boys fan. Let's go. Give me more yeah. of this all the time. <laughs> yeah. And that's something I think the show does really well. Like in the moments where it does action, because it's not necessarily an all action show. Right. But there are moments in the show when there is high action and it shows kind of what these various superpowers really would look like if you did them to the full extent. So that's a perfect example. The Flash, you know, you always see him finding non-lethal ways to take people down. Well, what if he just went full force? Right. Or like Superman with Homelander, like just started melting people with his laser eyes. And it's just so cool. And it it really puts a lot, like a lot of emphasis on what these characters could do and, and really shows the dark side of superheroing. Yeah. It, it was a breath of fresh air especially since the Marvel Universe has come up and we've got the DC Universe trying to continue to come up. And so we're really saturated even more than we ever were with superheroes. And a lot of that's been fine. You know, you and I are huge fans of most of what Marvel's done. You know, I don't really get tired of those IPs. We're comic readers, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah. But there's been only a few projects here and there that have deviated from you know the mainstream of what we've gotten in superhero movies and shows yeah and so to me it was just like finally you know somebody has come out and and it it doesn't necessarily feel disrespectful in any way but just having the balls to go up and cut 
a Superman down a little bit. Or, you know, in the comics, we've got some other characters that haven't made it into the show yet. Wolverine, Batman, Captain America, like big players in the world of of comics. And they go after them a good bit. But it's just nice to see that lighter approach. And I really feel like that might be the biggest attraction to it is that it's fresh. And kind of to your point is that it's a little bit more grounded in reality. Like it, It feels like if these people existed in the world... This is how they would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, not to knock on any individual celebrities, and I'm definitely not saying Chris Evans or Chris Pratt or any of these actual actors that play these superheroes are this way, but you see celebrities, like, the fame goes to their head. Sure. So in this world, why wouldn't this that also happen to a superhero? So if, if Chris Evans really was Captain America, the fame may actually go to his head and then this is would be the end result right and so with that it's probably good just if you haven't checked out the boys yet maybe we should clarify that in this world you know that they've created here the company vault international is essentially your typical giant corporation they're kind of like a a private military corp a blackwater or a halliburton you know maybe they make arms maybe they make drugs maybe they do this and that kind of shady as yeah. well, right? But they are a company that figured out how to make a compound that you can put into people essentially and make superheroes. So with that, to to help illustrate Kyle's point about fame and money and things like that, they are very much also like Disney, where they pump these superheroes into movies and and photo ops and merchandising. And they are all about the money that they can make, but they also go out and sometimes save save lives, you know, and sometimes yeah. fight crime, you know. So it's that balance. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if these people existed, somebody would try to exploit them for money, you know. So that's even a believable premise if oh, yeah. it really happened in the real world, right? Yeah, that they would have publicists that control not only the marketing side, but their actual lives and what they do and what they endorse. Yeah, yeah. It would be like if um, if Nick Fury also had like a legal team and a PR team for the Avengers. Like, so like, hey, we're hey Tony, yeah. we're going to give you this mission. You got to go out and, and save America. But before you do so, make sure you check in over here. Get your IG schedule going. Make sure you snap some selfies while you're out there saving yeah. the world. You know, and, and but like keep the corporate interest protected. Don't get sued. You know, it's just a it's a really interesting vibe that they put together and and it's and it's well done on both sides with the show and the comics and it's fast, it's edgy. Yeah. It kind of never turns back once it gets going. No, and I think it knows its audience. Like, and it, it doesn't try to cater to more than who's going to watch it. Like you you see a lot in Marvel where they're trying to play so many demographics. That's true. And that it's got to be kid-friendly, but also got to appease the fanboys. And it's also, you know, you want a grandma can take their grandson or something like that, like, all across. But, like, the boys is like, nope, this is not for kids. We're not even going to try to pretend it's for kids. That's true. Like, this is who this is meant for. Like, it's meant for adults. That is very true, because it is graphic um, I said this, I think, to our group chat. So I started reading the comics a couple of weeks ago. I, I hadn't read them after season one, but my tattoo artist, Alex, had 
a lengthy conversation with me a couple weeks ago about how the comics, you know, the graphic novel, whichever way you want to describe it, is her favorite of all time, essentially. Like, she is yeah. a huge boys fan. So shout out to Alex for, for the recommendation on reading the comics. And so I went out and grabbed the two, um, the first two omnibuses. There's six total. I think I'm through the, the first 30 issues, essentially. So a good chunk, but not everything. Yeah. And it's so wild that that is over the top the show as the show is. The comics are even more. You know, yeah. like for for some of the things that happen in the show that you might be like, "Damn, did they just do that on television?" Like most of those moments that play out in the comics are are on steroids. They are significantly worse. And so I won't <laughs> go into specifics on which ones are which. That might be another breakdown for another day. But it was really cool to see how both pieces of the IP essentially really stand on their own. Mm -hmm. You know, like I didn't feel like one was necessarily better than the other from what I've read. Um, I really liked aspects of both. I remember watching the show and being like, damn, this is like one of the more over-the-top shows on TV. And then you go to the comics and it's like, yeah, they probably needed to dial that back a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh my God. Yeah. Like just some total extreme. And, like I said, I went to Wonder Book and and read the first volume. So not the first omnibus, but the, just the first trade paperback. I read it in the store, and uh, it, it didn't quite hook me. And I think maybe I, I suffered from the show. Like the show was extreme enough for me, so the the book wasn't there. Uh, but I definitely read it through and had that same like, holy crap! Like <laughs> this is intense. Like as yeah, as intense as you think the show is, you put it perfectly the comic book takes it up tenfold. Yeah. And it's also an expanded universe. So we haven't seen necessarily, I don't believe we've seen the Captain America or the Batman uh, parody in the show yet. Right. But they are there. And so you see more of that as well. And they take all of those characters to the, you know, they dial them up to 11 and make them super, super extreme. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because one of the bigger differences between the books and the show is is kind of how the world is. And, you know, we'll probably jump into season two a little bit more in a little bit. But just to illustrate my point, like really where the season two ended is pretty much how the world of the books is from the beginning. Okay. So while they brought in, you know, certain specific events and certain aspects... I feel like the timelines are a little bit shifted around for the show versus the books. And so that has created a couple of, you know, different maybe tones or events, different tweaks. But what's been kind of cool is that now that I've read a good chunk of the comics, when I went back and rewatched season one and then watching season two, I feel like I picked up on more. So like there are all sorts of little call outs you know, to some of the other characters. So, like, the Batman parody is named Tech Knight. Tech Knight is not in the show yet, at least. Yeah. But I think there's been at least two references to him. Like, one, they reference one of his movies, Homelander. Somebody says, like, I've got to go to Tech Knight's premiere tonight or something like that, you know? Yeah. And and then there's another where um, when they're in, like, a support group of people who have been impacted by superhero activities, one of the ladies says... You know, I'm really appreciative that Tech Knight saved me, but I really wish he would have been a little bit more gentle with my back. And she's like in a wheelchair, you know? Yeah. And so they've they've peppered in all this stuff that's been kind of cool because it brought more life to some of those things that, you know, originally went over my head. 
Yeah. But the world is significantly more developed in the comics from the standpoint of there are way more heroes and villains. Like it's it's common and like different countries have superhero teams and things like that. So we've really kind of only scratched the surface in the show with what we've seen because it's mostly the seven with just a few other call outs or heroes peppered in. Yeah, yeah, so like Eagle the Archer, but like nothing more. That's very interesting to me because of how prevalent the the idea of a super, like a soup terrorist or a super villain as Homelander is dead set on calling them in the show. They're, they're, they don't exist at the beginning of season one and then by the end of season two, they are there. Yeah. But they're already established, it sounds like, in the comics. Well, they are, and here's really where it comes in is that One of the other main differences between the show and the comics is that Compound V in the comics is widely known about. And and it's been distributed farther and wider. You know, Vault, I think, has probably sold it to maybe different governments or whatever it may be. And one of the most interesting things that I really wish they would have brought to the show is that uh, the boys actually butcher himself uses v ah. and they they actually inject it on uh occasionally you know so that way they are strong enough because it'll kind of give you that souped up you know super yeah. soldier kind of deal and it makes it so that way they can fight them when they okay. have to and yeah. so like some of those little details are like man like i, I kind of that would be cool to see in the show but it just creates a slightly different world than what they've given us so far yeah that reminds me almost of that jamie fox movie that just came out What's that? The Netflix one where he, you essentially, you take a pill and you get powers for five minutes. Oh, I don't think I've seen that one, no. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Like It was like Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like they, they had that movie come out very recently on Netflix. I feel awful that I'm like totally blanking on the name. Oh, it's Power. Project Power. Power. Oh, maybe I saw like a trailer or something on that, but I haven't watched it, no. Yeah, that's the whole concept of I haven't seen that movie, but based on the trailer, that's the whole concept is that you pop this pill and then you get some sort of superpower for some period of time. But that's a huge twist given how Billy Butcher is like anti-V in the show to hear that he's he's taking it and popping it. And it'd be a very interesting development in season three or season four down the line if they start taking them and developing. Is it a different superpower every time? No, they don't get superpowers. It just makes them super strong. Okay, so it's just like endurance and strength. Yeah, yeah. It just makes it so they can like take a punch from Homelander or whatever it may be, you know, and and fight back if they have to. It's just interesting. Like there's, I don't really have any major problems with the changes they made for the show now that I'm learning more about the original material. The tone is also a little different, especially with Butcher. You know, like you mentioned how like you wouldn't, you wouldn't really think that Billy Butcher would even consider taking V if you're if you're watching just the show. Yeah. Whereas it's kind of commonplace for him in the books, from what I can tell. But another example is like Carl Urban's version of Butcher is way more hardline. He is much more of a cunt, you know, <laughs> to use his own words. And and he's a little bit more cold. In the books, He's got most of those tones. I mean, he's still man-driven, yeah, right. You know, to to get what he wants and what he's what he's after. But it seems like when he's dealing with the the other butchers, you know, Mother's Milk, Frenchie, um, Huey, 
he, he's a little bit warmer. Like, he's a little bit more... He talks to him, you know, there's more moments of, like, camaraderie and things like that. You know what I mean? So, it, that was, I think, another one of the main things that stood out to me was, you know, I feel like they went a lot more hard edge with Carl Urban's Butcher than maybe how, at least in the beginning of the comics, he was set up. Yeah. So, well, with that, in the comics, is he, like, the sole, like, protagonist? Like, or or is it more like an ensemble? Because that's what I said, like, the boys really feels like an ensemble where you have Huey, who is arguably could be the, could be considered the main character. Um, or Or is it more like, so I guess there's the question, is it an ensemble in the comics or is it Butcher focused? I mean, Butcher, I would still say is probably number one from what I've seen so far, but, and then maybe, it, maybe it's the way it would be like Butcher's 1A and, and Huey's 1B. Okay. You know what I mean? Like most of it is focused around them, but, but they do give a good bit of attention to Frenchie, to, you know, Kamiko is her name in the show. She's literally just called the female in the, in the books, but, yeah. you know, and Mother's Milk, we've seen a little bit more from them and what I've read so far and from what um alex was telling me when we were talking about it was that that i think at some point throughout the series you know mm kind of has his own issue or maybe a couple of issues that really kind of break him down more frenchy they go way more into him and so they really do take i I would say more of an ensemble even though the butcher and huey are the mains they give a lot of time it seems to the rest of the team like everybody's got a level of importance gotcha is there any real drastic differences on the team, like in personality, other than, you know, obviously Butcher's super hardline, but um, I know that they, they've, Huey in the comics is basically like Simon Pegg. Oh, yeah, he absolutely is Simon Pegg. Yeah. yeah. And he's Scottish. And he's Scottish, but is there any like major, I guess, really between female Kamiko or, Mar- you know, Mother's Milk uh... or Frenchie, or are they more or less the same character? I think they did pretty good with translating them all over to the big screen. Mother's Milk, like, I really like the actor that plays M.M. in the show, and so he's fine, but he's way more, like, imposing. The guy who plays M.M. in the show looks like he's, like, maybe 5'10", you know, or or 6 foot tall. Like, he's a big guy. He's muscular, but in the comics, Mother's Milk looks like he's, like, 6'5". He looks like he's, like, Ray Lewis, you know, ready to, to take you down, and he's dressed like Blade, you know? So, like, he's just a little bit more imposing Frenchie might be a little bit more different because in the show he's kind of like a gangster partier you know that type of crazy but in like the comics like he's legitimately freaking crazy Uh. like wildly crazy in some of the stuff he does and way more over the top so I think that maybe they changed him a little bit more than than MM Um, Huey is actually pretty drastically different like Huey's still kind of a bumbling timid kind of guy at the beginning but not nearly as much as what they did with jack quaid's version in the show and once again i kind of like him too in the show so it, uh, it's splitting hairs really and, and not a lot of ips do that it's probably a testament to you know seth rogan and the showrunners for handling the tv version and garth ennis's original work but there are there are def- it's not game of thrones where like the first four seasons are word for word out of the books you know yeah. Okay. And that that's cool to see. I know that I saw an interview with Eric Kript, who's the showrunner, and he actually said that adapting the comic has been one of the most challenging things he's ever done in his career. 
because he wants to do it justice. And he, he compared it to basically playing Jenga, where he knows that he has to move these pieces around and do all these things, but he doesn't want the tower to topple because he wants to keep the core story alive and well and faithful. And I thought that was, it was a really cool thing to hear from a showrunner that, you know, he, he wants to stay faithful to the, the comic book and the comic series, but also wants to make it stand on its own two feet. Yeah, I could see that a lot because, you know, even some of the moments, like the moments are jumbled a little bit compared to what happened. You know, it doesn't follow a perfect linear path between the show and the books. So that's one thing. And then they did tweak how some events happen, like the moments on the plane ended up a little different. There was actually some moments in season two that I thought were probably pulled from some things I saw in the comics, but done in a different twist. And so, you know, as long as they keep up with that quality and it works for where they're going in the show, it doesn't always work out this way. But in this case, I am totally fine with what they've done. You know, like Mm -hmm. I, I guess if I was a little bit more hardlined and, and I know I keep referencing Alex, but she was telling me that, you know, when the show first dropped for her, like she hated it because <laughs> it was because she already had read all the books multiple yeah, times, yeah. super fan, you know. And so she it, some of the changes caught her off guard or rubbed her the wrong way, I guess, you know, whereas now she said she finished out uh, season two much more OK with it settled down a little bit, you know. Right, yeah. And seeing how they're both working in their own ways. So I think it's just more of a perspective, too, or when you come into the material. But it comes back, we've talked a lot about the characters here. Yeah. It comes back to the characters, and I think that that is why it works in both formats, because the characters, even though they are parodies of things, like, they're still really well-developed and and well done you know and interesting so i think that that probably gives it a lift regardless of what specific details are going on around them oh yeah and i can wholeheartedly agree the characters are totally fleshed out on both sides both the boys and the seven sides these are not just one trick ponies they're not just one one character trait and then move on they are fully developed we saw a lot of that in season two i felt like season one was a little more straightforward but as they, they rounded out the characters more in season two, whether it was Homelander and his interactions with his son, Ryan. Uh, we got to see a lot of Maeve's sexuality come into play in season two and how the PR department at Vault International was playing that. Yeah. A lot of really good commentary on how like current society that I think that maybe that is something that I really enjoyed in season two was a lot of the more social commentary on everyday life and what we're seeing in the current environment of our world. You know, the first season was, was all world building and setting up and it was all about butcher hunting down Homelander and compound V and Madeline Stiltwell. And then season two, it kind of didn't totally alter tone and go in a new direction. It still kept its same vibe, but for me, it felt like they started to really reflect on instead of parroting the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the DC Cinematic Universe, but our actual everyday lives. Yeah, the way they work certain things in, in you know, like Stormfront, just to make your point, is a hardcore, you know, white male Nazi, your typical image of a Nazi, even though he's a hero, like that's what he is in the comics. And I thought they did a good job at, you know, shifting that over to to what they did in the show, 
you know, obviously the on the nose change was the gender swap, but they allowed her to really talk about a lot of things that go on today. So, yeah. you know, she references like when bad things happen, like, oh, I'll just get my meme guys to take care of it. <laughs> and like this team of, of techies that are in the background that are essentially like pumping social media full of whatever information that they want to, to create a worldview that they want. And it is stuff we see today. It's not really secret anymore. Like everybody knows that there's, Stuff that goes on with how social media and things are used for good and bad. And 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 then there's the scene at the beginning of, I think it was episode seven. Yeah. Where they show, like, what can happen when somebody in power like Stormfront is influencing, you know, just an everyday person. And that leads to a horrible act, a horrible crime. So it, it definitely got on the nose, not on the nose, but hit home a little bit just with where we're at political climates, you know, once again, just kind of making it feel real world, making it feel kind of grounded in something that obviously isn't reality, but you're like, I could see a lot of this going down in reality. If, Oh yeah. If we lived in this world. So yeah, absolutely. And I guess that is there in season one as well. Like if, like I said, if Chris Evans really was captain America and played that dual role, these would be the things that happen. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I kind of like it. I always like when, when art and real life kind of blur together in a way that's, that makes you think. And I think that's really kind of where some of this stuff came in was they were pointing out certain things and using it for what they needed in the story without being preachy or yeah. on the nose or telling you which way to think, you know, it was just a good way to work some modern influence into, you know, a story that's, you know, 2006 social media was around, but it wasn't quite the way we have it today, you know? So it's not like it was baked into the comics at that point. Yeah. But you know, one thing, last thing I was going to say real quick about characters, I was curious if you knew this, but, uh, Madeline Stilwell, who was such an important character in season one, we've seen her in other Hollywood stuff before. So did you recognize who she is? I don't think so. So her name's Elizabeth Shue. But so like that actress, do you recognize her from any other big time 80s movies? I feel like I should, but I'm missing where you're going. So no. So she was Allie, the girlfriend that Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence fought over in The Karate Kid. (laughs) Just to play it back into Cobra Kai. Yeah. Come back into Cobra Kai. (laughs) So I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there because I realized that just the other day when my wife pointed it out and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, this is the random little factoid I had to throw in there. No, that's fun. But there's been solid cameos and solid appearances throughout both seasons of The Boys. We saw Seth Rogen appear in season one as a movie director for Black Noir's latest film and Simon Pegg actually came in as Huey's dad, so that there's been some fun cameos. Billy Zane. Billy Zane. In, in one scene of season one at like a Comic-Con when they go and get Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> right. The me- Mesmer. Mesmer, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's definitely been fun. I, I always love that kind of stuff. Yeah. When the dots were connected on Elizabeth's shoe, because we were also recently watching Cobra Kai, I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this is amazing. She was... 
She was so innocent in the Karate Kid, and now she's so evil in a corporate environment. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, we should the last cameo, but I don't know if you can call it a cameo or if he was just a full-blown character, was Sean Asmore. Sean Asmore. As Lamplighter. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Bobby Drake. <laughs> Bobby Drake. You know, yeah. Iceman. He's as... always Iceman to me. And no matter when I see him, I, I literally blanked when you said Sean Asmore because he's Bobby Drake to me. <laughs> <laughs> you're like yeah i don't yeah that actor he just lives the character he's bobby drake he's ice man but no seeing him as lamplighter was pretty cool and and maybe transition to like favorite moments and shocking moments uh throughout this show i thought all the scenes with him were awesome but his exit from the show like blew me away i didn't see it coming no. at all no uh, i actually thought dramatic. he was gonna be a yeah it was very dramatic i thought he was gonna be a permanent fixture in the show yeah, I didn't expect him to spend such a short time here just being a well-known guy, you know, maybe not a top-tier actor, but he's been around a lot of superhero stuff and things like that, made a name for himself. But yeah, it was it was powerful, you know. Clearly, Huey was not aware of why he did what he did at the time, but, yeah. you know, you realize that that was probably the only way to open open up the building. Yeah. He's setting off all the emergency systems. Just, yeah, yeah. So well, so, well, once again, spoiler, he lit himself on fire and set off all the fire alarms and yeah. w- and all the water hoses and all that, like, sprinkler systems and this and that. It was uh, kind of wild to see and definitely was a shock. Yeah, season two really just picked right up where season one ended and just kept rolling. I mean, yeah. it didn't it didn't slow down much. It didn't have any lulls. Um, you know, there's highlights from every single episode. Uh, so that one was super good. I, I have to say earlier on in the, in the season when Butcher drives the speedboat through the whale <laughs> that yeah. the deep is riding, it's like a giant sperm whale that he beaches and blocks their path. And so Butcher, instead of slowing down, just cranks the speed <laughs> and drives straight through the belly and, and, you know, like, the Deep is, like, crying about Lucy, his whale friend, being dead. But, like, Huey is, like, in the belly sitting next to a beating whale heart, you know? Yeah. Like, and he comes out and he's just like, that was diabolical. <laughs> I do love that scene because the Deep is, like, standing on top of the whale with this, like, superhero pose. Because, you know, probably in every other situation he's ever been in, the villain stops or refuses to do it and he just plows right through so he definitely doesn't see it coming yeah yeah that one's pretty amazing um (laughs) the heads anytime a head explodes yeah gets me gets me every time that was some cool stuff that ended up being a a wild thing towards the end was the the heads exploding and all of that part of the story i'm glad you brought that up though because i'm i'm trying to figure out exactly where all that's going or or how they're how they're dealing with that. So in the comics, I saw a good bit around heads exploding, and it was interesting because they were two totally different developments or stories as far as how they actually happened. So hmm. you know, in the comics, it was essentially a different version of V that was built that has essentially like a failsafe in it, where if you project a certain frequency of sound you'll make their heads explode. And Butcher actually uses it in the comics to kill 150 superheroes at one time, oh which God. was epic. Like, yeah. I, I, it was one of my favorite moments of what I've read so far because it's just like, holy shit. 
you know, and going back to him being so hard, like he had no qualms about it. Like just yeah. boom. 150 people gone. And so when I first started seeing it over here, I thought that's where they were going with it in the show. And then they kind of took a couple different twists with it and a little bit of a different route. So I, I thought that that was kind of interesting and another example of them finding ways to make maybe some of the things that happen in the comics work for what they're doing in the show. Yeah, and that's cool. But it'd be interesting to see with the first two seasons kind of time jumping on the comics but now, finally, we saw at the end of season two, there's a new division of the CIA. And, and I, I think at the beginning of the comics, that's where it starts, right? Yeah. So, yeah, at the end of the season two, Mallory tells Butcher that um, Newman, the, the young congresswoman, is now the head of like the official office of uh, superhero affairs. Yeah. And she wants to provide some, you know, off the books dark money to a team that can keep tabs on the superheroes, you know, get some dirt on them, figure out what's going on. And yeah, that's essentially what the boys are when the comics start. Yeah. So, you know, Butcher still has interactions with Rainer from the CIA and some of those people, but essentially that's the role that they are acting in. So, and he's still pretty much a rebel does whatever he wants but he does have some more interactions with essentially like his superiors um who are trying to keep him under control gotcha okay yeah and then that'll be an an awesome new twist and maybe as we move forward with the show it lines up a little more closely with the events of the comics because now we are officially on the same path it's definitely possible and i was wondering the exact same thing but I'll have to wait and see. You know, I, I I need to grab the other four omnibuses, but I know we're we're looking to cover a couple other comic series here in the near future. So I told myself I was like, I have to stop because I mean I literally read those first two omnibuses in a matter of days. Yeah, like I could not put them down. So my first reaction was like, go buy the other ones, yeah. and and I had to say no, take a break. We're gonna read east of west and some of these other things and then and then i can circle back and wrap it up but but i'm really curious to see if if that development at the end of season two um puts us more on a common path with Mm. you know what happens in the remainder of the comics yeah i'd I'd like to see that i mean maybe not exact i have this affinity for comic book to television and book to movie type stories when differences and analyzing this or that it's this super weird nerdy thing that i do that i've been doing since the days of harry potter but harry potter game of thrones walking dead like i obsess over all of it so i'd love to see the show progress and then how it lines up to the comics and where it goes and i think an interesting piece to all this is the success of the show i have no doubt the success of the show has caused dynamite to reboot the series because now the 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 original series ended in 2012. Yeah. But now there's a new limited edition uh sequel that's being published. Oh wow, I didn't know it, that. Yeah, it's called The Boys Dear Becky. Okay. okay. And it's like it's like a years later story. That's cool. Well, maybe I'll pick that up once I get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's been uh, like they announced it it's only it's set 12 years after the events of the last you know, issue the of the original issue. boys. Yeah. And it's, 
it's you know, and I'm knowing that you're reading, I'm not going to say anything detailed because it will probably give away spoilers to the comics. So I'll respect that. <laughs> but it, it'll be an eight issue mini run that that is actually what's currently it's coming out now. Okay, okay, might have to grab that and add it to the pool list just to uh, get them while they're coming out. Yeah, since I'll grab everything else in the omnibus fashion, but. It's really cool. I, it's a top IP for me right now. It jumped straight up the list. I haven't seen much that I don't like. It's a fun ride. You know, if you haven't watched it and you like superheroes, or even if you don't like superheroes, you know, I think that's kind of the best part about it is if if you are somebody that is turned off by, you know, the normal Captain America, Superman, you know, whatever type of superhero and what we get from Marvel and DC, then this really could be right up your alley because it pokes fun and, and kind of points out some of those things that a lot of people that don't like comics or don't like superheroes kind of tend to talk about. Yeah. And so I think it's really appealing to to anybody, regardless of where you stand on that type of story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we say, talk to people and, and really read the reviews. Don't actually go look at just the basic reviews that are out there because there was a little bit of negative feedback on how Amazon released the episodes. So the initial reviews were all like bombings where people were giving one-star reviews, not because of the content, but because of how it was released. People wanted Amazon to give all eight episodes of season two out at once. And that's not how they did it. They did it on a weekly format. So because of these review bombings, you'll see some low scores both on Amazon and Rotten Tomatoes and things like that. But but don't pay attention to those. Like, really talk to somebody, do your research, and you'll find out that it's a great show. And in fact, I think it could be a show that could be Amazon's new flagship show. For sure. Since they've lost Man in the High Castle. Yep. Like, they, they have a few other shows. They have Jack Ryan and Hunters and, and another a lot of other really good shows. But The Boys is just everywhere right now and just to kind of you know a little bit of perspective in october of 2019 nielsen the nielsen ratings announced kind of what how the boys went and the boys had attracted 8 million total viewers in its first 10 days of release wow and it's like by far one of the most successful shows and programs original programs on amazon prime so like that that will tell you right there. It it's worth your time to at least check out and give a fair shake. Yeah, I tell everybody to go and watch it. You know, regardless of where you stand, go and watch it. I know we're probably wrapping up here, Kyle, but I did want to see, you know, with how many characters there are, the variety of characters, the variety of superheroes. I was curious um, since we haven't really talked about it, but do you have a favorite character? Uh, I think. It, I'm going to go both sides here where I, I have a favorite character on the boy's side and I have a favorite character on. Perfect. Yeah. You know, and I like Frenchie. I okay. really like I really like Frenchie on the boy's side. I think, you know, the different inventions that he comes up with and you know he, he's like the different ways and thought processes he has to like try a to turtle. Yeah, like a turtle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like a, like a turtle, exactly. And the way that he tried to designs ways to kill superheroes. Yep. And uh, it's very grounded. You know, as crazy as he is, he's always, you know, popping pills and taking LSD and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, you know, he's very inventive and very creative. And I think 
we saw a little bit of his backstory here this season and kind of how he failed in a previous mission and the toll that has taken on him over the years. Yep. So I really enjoy Frenchie. Um, and then on the on the seven side, it's going to seem weird because he's he started out kind of like a dick. Uh, but I like the deep. <laughs> like, you know, and obviously the first couple episodes, the deep is a just horrible frat boy jackass. Yeah. But, you know, once he gets checked, because he, he gets checked and he gets sent to Ohio, he gets taken off the team. Yep. And then now his whole side story with the collective, the Church of the Collective and all of that is is really interesting. And I think he's just kind of funny. Like every scene just kind of makes me chuckle a little bit. Yeah, he, he's got a bunch of good one-liners. Yeah. Um, like at the end when he's just like, fuck Fresca. Yeah, fuck, yeah, fuck <laughs> Fresca. Yeah, yeah. Or he, and he complains to the the Church of the Collective head about how he he's like, I bought into your crap. I drank the Fresca. I married this weird-ass girl for you. Yeah. Like he basically like she pulls the curtain terrible back. terrible blowjobs. <laughs> he gives terrible blowjobs. <laughs> he's like, I signed my bank account over to you. <laughs> yeah. Like he just... And maybe that's it. Like he gets, he just gets taken advantage of uh, every turn. Yeah. And, and he's just lost. And the scene where his gills are talking to him and his gills. Oh my are God. The, Pat, Patton <laughs> Oswalt does the voice of his gills. Like so. And maybe it, it's just the various scenes with the deep. Like I said, him standing on top of the whale, all proud, only mm-hmm. for Butcher to plow that. So the various deep scenes. So maybe, maybe it's not so much the character, but the. The awkward positions the character gets put in is yeah. why I like him so much. So, you know, they hate on him so much, you know, which unfortunately is just how like all Aquaman type characters end up, you know, very few of their versions are like super respectable and like, yeah, not ridiculous. But the deep is actually way more prominent in the show. They they really raised his status, I think, in the show versus what at least I've seen so far in the comics. Oh, okay. um, he's also way cooler in the show than than in the comics, where he's just got this like weird, like old school diver helmet and stuff. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> but they do. It, it, there are some tones that are similar. Like there was a moment in the comics where the deep is supposed to be coming to help and like. He comes. He comes out of the water in front of the the bad guy or whoever they're chasing, and he's like standing there. And it was a very mo- similar moment to when Deep was on top of the whale, and it's just like, like okay, you can swim underwater. That's your power. Yeah. Good for you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's he's had some powerful moments. Like you really look at that scene with the whales. He's controlling all those whales. Yeah. Which you know, is what we see when people try to really sell you on Aquaman, that he's more than just a guy that has a trident and can swim underwater. Like, the ability to talk to fish is actually a really key superpower. Yeah. But the awkward positions that he gets put in because of that is also really funny with the, yeah. the dolphin in season one and the lobster in season. <laughs> you know, when he goes to save the lobster. Yeah. And it, it just doesn't work out at all. <laughs> I know. They, they really put him through some emotional turmoil. But he he's bouncing back. I'm we'll be interested to see what happens with him moving forward. Yeah. And his storyline. Um they left a lot of things, you know, open for either big changes or or developments in season 3, so we'll definitely have to see how all that shakes out, you know, who sticks around. Yeah. Maybe who gets kind of written off after a couple of seasons, stuff like that. Sure. Favorite character on your end? Uh 
it's really really tough because i like so many of them um the deep is like the guilty pleasure favorite for a lot of the same reasons that you said and now that i've read the comics i really like huey a lot more than i did just seeing him in the show because he he does more and he's like a little bit more capable you know so he seems to be um, more attractive as a character but but it's really hard to say that there's any bad characters, you know, across the board. Oh, yeah. No, and I would agree with that. Like I said earlier, like I, every storyline has been solid. Like season one, A-Train and the Compound B, V and the drugs and Popclaw. Yeah. That was really good. Homelander's development. Like he's just kind of a dick, but you see these nice tender moments with his son. Yeah. And while, you know, Anthony Starr has come out and said that he's not a redeemable character and we should not sympathize, like they still have fully developed that character. So it's just a well done show all around Mm -hmm. that any, any number of characters on this show, you can find a reason to like and a reason to, to root for or pay attention to their story. Yeah. Agreed. Well, since moment one, the boys has done a good job of capturing and keeping our attention. Seasons one and two are fast-paced and packed full of both action and humor. It's a bold IP that stands up to the Marvel and DC juggernauts unapologetically as it pokes fun at mainstream characters like Superman, Batman, and Professor X. We highly recommend you check out the show and comics and then let us know what your thoughts are about this Garth Ennis masterpiece on social media. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this chapter, be sure to hit the subscribe button to get new chapters of Geek Catch Up every two weeks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow the show on social media, and you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Geek Catch Up Podcast, or on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Catch Up Pod. Links to all these accounts are in the show notes below and on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. Stay saucy, you nerds.